All right. Um, I would put on a different hat, but uh, my mom would have a heart attack if I had a hat in church. So, uh, uh, so we're not going to do that uh, this morning. But uh, good morning again uh, and welcome. Uh, as I was uh, preparing for this week, uh, Pastor Larry is away and uh, he asked me if I would uh, do the sermon this morning. And I said, I'd be glad to. Uh, and I really wrestled. I was like, I don't know what to talk about. So I prayed to God and, and it was really interesting. A couple of days ago, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and, uh, and uh, she was talking about her granddaughter uh, who had gone out in town with some friends of hers down in Alamogordo. And, uh, and uh, she had gone out with a friend, and they had gone to the roller skating rink to go roller skating. And uh, her granddaughter called her uh, distressed in the middle of this activity that she was doing because when she got down to the roller skating rink, her friend left her and went and hung out with some other friends, and she was all alone by herself down at the roller skating rink in Alamogordo. And I thought about it for about a half a second, and I said, well, that's no friend at all. I said, that's terrible. Right? What's going on? And, uh, and so it started me thinking, and I said, you know, this is a topic that we need to talk about, and I'm going to get right down to it, because this topic affects you, whether you're 8 or whether you're 88. Right? If you are a Christian, if you are a person living in American culture today, this affects you, right? And maybe you don't even realize it. Maybe you don't think about it, but this topic applies. It's absolutely critical. The answer to the question I'm about to ask you can make you happy, it can make you sad, right? It can make you have all sorts of different things, but it's a fundamental question that gets right to the heart of what it is to be part of a human society. Slide warm. Do you got friends? Right? Do you got friends? Right? We've got friends everywhere in American culture, right? How many of you have Facebook friends? Oh, come on, there's more people than that. Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, I don't know. This, this sermon applies to everybody, right? It doesn't matter who you are in this culture, slide. Something up here speaks to you, right? Maybe you've got a best friend. Maybe you don't have any friends. Maybe your dog is your best friend, right? We've got friends everywhere in American culture, right? But... Not all as it appears. Slide. The suicide rate today in America is higher than it's been in the last hundred years. Right? People are alone. People are not feeling like they have friends. In 2018, the Cigna Health Insurance Company did a survey, and they surveyed 20,000 Americans. That's almost as many people as live down in Alamogordo. And when they get done with the survey, this is what they found. 47% of people that they surveyed felt like they do not have a meaningful, in-person social interaction on a daily basis. 47%. 47% of people also said they feel left out. 43% of people said they didn't feel like they had any meaningful relationships. And 43% of people felt isolated. There's a problem in America today. There is a problem in America today. One of the interesting things is when you take a look at the results of the survey, one of the happiest groups of people was whom? Those aged 77 and above. In conjunction with this survey, they also asked people to do a self-assessment of their personal physical health. The group that rated themselves lower in personal physical health than anybody, than anybody, was 18 to 22-year-olds. The youngest, allegedly supposed to be the fittest, prime-of-their-life people rated themselves as having the lowest quality of personal health 
in the survey. Right? 77 plus year olds said they had some of the best health of anybody surveyed. What is going on? Slide. I want to know. I wanted to dig to the bottom of this. Because when you take a look at it, something serious is afoot in America. Right? Some people count the number of friends they have on their social media lists right, as success. Right? I've got hundreds of friends. Right? And we throw that word around in this culture with no regard to its real meaning, in my opinion. Right? Today, you can literally communicate around the planet, the entire planet, at the speed of light. Right? I can literally call Jack in Africa and say, Jack, how's it going? Those look like great fish. Right? I can communicate at the speed of light, and yet people have never felt more disconnected from people than they do in today's American culture. Obviously, it's not a technolog technological problem. Right? Anybody feel technologically deficient? Can't stay in touch? Right? Some people wish they could get out of touch. Right? It's not a geographic roadblock. It's not like back in the day when we had to get on an ocean liner and sail the seven seas to go see somebody. Right? Loneliness is everywhere, though. Loneliness is everywhere. Is it our friends? Are they all wrong? Is it us? Right? Is there something wrong with us? We've got to dig a little bit deeper to figure out what's going on. Slide. What's a friend? I think it's important to start in this discussion by figuring out what a friend is. Like I said, we throw this word around all the time. Right? You hear it all the time in modern culture. Ah, oh, that's my friend. Right? Really? Yeah, we'll come back to that. Friend. If you look in the dictionary, what does it say? A friend is one attached to another by affection or esteem. A favored companion. I like that. A favored companion. And I think while you would agree that, yeah, sure, that captures like, yeah, that's a friend. It doesn't capture the depth of a friendship. It tells you what a friend is, but it absolutely does not tell you what friendship is. We've got to dig deeper. Slide. All right. Aristotle, the great philosopher, said, what is a friend? A single soul dwelling in two bodies. What do you think? He actually didn't make that up. Right? That idea is put forward in the Bible. And we're going to visit this in a little bit when you talk about David and Jonathan. The Bible even says that they were of the same soul. In this answer, Aristotle captures what? He basically says that when you have a friend, that person is so close to you that you can't tell the difference between the two of you. Right? Your thoughts are intertwined. Your motives, what you like, what you laugh at, what makes you sad, all of these things that comprise the human experience, you're so close to this person that they're your friend. Right? The same soul living in two bodies. Right? So there's an idea, but that's not all of it. Slide. Charlotte's Web, the great children's book written by E.B. White. For those of you that don't know it, it's a tremendous book. I highly recommend it. But there's a pig, Wilbur, and he lives on Homer Zuckerman's farm. Wilbur's about to go become bacon. Right? Sad for Wilbur. Right? But there's a spider, Charlotte, the soft-spoken, strong heroine of the story. It's a gripping story. It really is so well done. Right? She saves Wilbur from the slaughterhouse. Right? And at the end of the book, towards the end of the book, there's this exchange. At the end of it all, after Charlotte saves Wilbur's life, he says, why did you do this for me? I don't deserve it. I've never done anything for you. And Charlotte says to him simply, you've been my friend. 
And that in itself is a tremendous thing. And I love that exchange because it captures what? It captures the idea that friendship itself has intrinsic value. Charlotte didn't have to list off a reason. She didn't have to list off a hundred reasons. She didn't have to list off a single one other than you have simply been my friend. Slide. All right. One of my favorite definitions, Albert Hubbard, the great writer and philosopher, the turn of the 20th century, said a friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. It's beautiful. I love the way he captures that. A friend is loyal and a friend is forgiving. And so it captures these traits of what a real friend is. None of these captures in one simple, concise sentence what it means to be a friend or to have a friend. It's so multifaceted. It's so deep. We've got to dig into it. We've got to dig into it. But where do we start? If it's so deep and if it's so multifaceted, where do we start? We start right here in the Bible. Let's pray. God, as we dig into this subject this morning, we ask your blessing uh, on us. Father, as we explore what your word has to say about friendship in this modern culture, uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless us uh, in the understanding that you give us. We ask that you would take, Lord, even our friendships and align them to be in tune with your heart. Lord, we ask that you would bless this sermon. We ask again that you would bless me as I bring it. Lord, cause your word to speak out uh, and to ring true uh, as it always is this morning. We ask your blessing on us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turning your Bibles, please, if you have one, to John chapter 15, verse 13. Slide. Here we read the text that most of you know. For Jesus says this as he's preaching a sermon. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for his friends. And he preached that right before he was about himself to go to the cross. It was present on his heart. And the verse right after that, many know this. He says, You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. So this anchors our discussion. When we get into what's going on, we always start as people of Christ to take a look at things the way that God takes a look at things. And when you do that, things start to come in line quite quickly, as you'll see as we move along here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, slide. Says one, I meant two. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, gives us some interesting insight. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Right, this is right after the creation account. And again, many of you that know the Bible are familiar with this. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And after that, he created Eve and the rest, literally, is history. As we dig into this, it's important to understand, going back to creation in the garden, if you study the Bible, this is why the book of Genesis is so absolutely important in what we do, is because it sets the foundation for the entirety of the human condition. We see how it was supposed to be, and then see what it turned into. And here we see that God created humans with a basic need for companionship wasn't an accident. Right? God went, oh, I forgot about that part. No, this was a very deliberate, this was a very planned, this was the way that God wanted us, and we are created 
to need companionship. And I think everybody here would agree with that. When you take a look around at the world, people want to be liked. They want to be accepted. They want to be part of the in crowd, whatever it is. We were created for companionship. We were created to live in community. We weren't created to live alone. And that may speak to some of you here on the mountain that hole up in your shelters during the week. Come on down off of the hill or out of the woods on Sunday to go to church. Good. But we were created to live in community. We were not created to be set off and alone and apart from the world. God, when he interacts with his people throughout the Bible, while he does speak to individuals and he does interact with individuals, it's very poignant to note that God interacts with his people in covenant constructs, right? Covenants with his people as a whole. He covenants with his people as a whole. And so when God interfaces with us, again, it's with that sense of community. If you go back to the garden, you'll notice that Adam and Eve did not just walk around with each other in the garden, right? It's recorded there that they walked with God. They were created to have fellowship and to have community, not just with each other, but with him in a beautiful three-way relationship, right? In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God says this. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God claims us for himself in that, right? There is that belonging and that sense of ownership. But it's not a person, and he's not talking to Moses alone. He's talking to the people of Israel of whom we are part, even as such today. Slide. So as we take a look at this, I want to take a look at friends in the Bible because I think there's some very salient and some very poignant examples of friendship in the Bible. When you go to the Word, Old Testament and New Testament doesn't matter. God has laid this chart out, and it's part of the Bible history. It's part of the human condition because people throughout the Bible are just like us, the people. Some of them are great heroes of the faith but they put their pants on one leg at a time or their tunic, I don't know, one arm at a time. I don't know how that works. But the bottom line is, they were just like you and me. They were sinful. They were fallen. They had their weaknesses. They had their longings, their desires, their needs. And so we can learn as we study this in the Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is a very interesting uh, segment uh, of the biblical account Uh, as we take a look and talk about the classic friendship of David and Jonathan. And if you take a look at it, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says this, When they had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Aristotle didn't come up with this idea. There were two bodies with the same soul. This comes right out of the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And if you understand the story or if you know it, I'll sum it up. David and Jonathan were friends. Jonathan's dad hated David. He thought David was the worst friend ever. Tried to kill him. Threw spears at him. Chased him down. Hunted him down in the wilderness. For years, Jonathan's dad hated Jonathan's best friend. What a fun family. Ah, that's great. No. It was hard for David. If you take a look at it, many of the psalms that David penned and are recorded in the book of Psalms come out of this time of trial when David was being persecuted. He was being pursued. He was being chastised. He was being everything by Saul for doing what? He didn't do anything. In fact, he was given the opportunity to kill Saul and put an end to it all 
And he said what? Will not touch, will not touch God's anointed. Right? David was righteous in his heart through all of this. Right? It was a tough relationship. Right? How did it end up? How'd the friendship end up? They went off together. They built a condo development in South Florida and lived happily ever after. Absolutely not. No. It's a hard story because the hatred gets to the point where David and Jonathan have to come up to an agreement. Jonathan goes to David and goes, bro, I love you. You can't come around here anymore. My dad is serious about killing you. He's going to kill you dead. And David goes, I'm not so sure about that. He says, all right, let's come up with a test, right? You go talk to your dad, figure out what's the real story. He says, come out and shoot some arrows. And where these arrows go is going to tell me whether or not I need to skedaddle or not, right? Jonathan goes and talks to his dad. Doesn't turn out so well. So he comes out and shoots the arrows. They're pre-assigned signal or they're signed between the two of them. And they come together for one last meeting, right? And it was sadness. There were tears. They were broken because they had to separate. And that was the end of that. It was the end of it, right? Not that they stopped loving each other and caring about each other, but they couldn't hang out. They couldn't be friends. They couldn't spend that time together. And several years after that, it was a terrible war. Jonathan's dad, who ended up being a huge idiot, and he goes to war with the Philistines. And Jonathan's dad and Jonathan are killed in a battle. Right? End of the friendship. End of the friendship. So from this, what do we know? Very interesting as you look at the biblical account. Right? Number one, close friends are a gift. Right? And if you don't view your close friends, for those of you that have them as a gift, think again. Right? They are a gift from God. Somebody that you can go through life with, somebody that you can share things with, somebody that you can be happy when they're happy, somebody that you can be sad when they're sad, somebody you can cry with. That's a gift. That is an absolute gift. And so it's imperative that every day we get on our knees and we thank God for that gift. Because I'm a firm believer that what we see from this story of David and Jonathan is that close friends have seasons. I think you'd all agree with me. You haven't always had a close friend. Sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're not, right, as life ebbs and flows. So when you have them, grab onto them and be thankful for them because they're a gift from God. One thing that you'll see that bonded David and Jonathan together was obviously not Jonathan's dad. What bonded them together was the faith that they had in the goodness of God and the faith that they had in his salvation. So when you look for those close friends, as God brings them your way, absolutely imperative that you remember that those close friendships are brought even closer when they're knit together in fellowship in the Lord. Next slide. Book of Daniel. Everybody knows Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. But before we get to Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel worked for a crazy king. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was bonkers. It's off his rocker sometimes, right? literally. Uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, and if you take a look in the book of Daniel... Daniel had some friends, right? If you go to Daniel chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, turn there, uh, and we're going to take a look at this just a little bit. But Daniel had three friends, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for those of you that know the biblical account, right? They all worked for the crazy king, right? And the crazy king's got some cultural stuff going on. He's going to train up these young men in the ways of the Chaldeans. They're going to learn about Chaldean culture, Chaldean art, Chaldean history, Chaldean music. They're going to learn about Chaldean cuisine. He's got this entire social program lined out for the young men 
under his kingdom so that they can appreciate what's awesome about Chaldean culture, right? But Daniel and his three friends said, um, no thanks, king. We're not going to drink your wine, and we're not going to eat your Chaldean delicacies, whatever they were, because we serve the Lord God, right? And so we're not going to do that. And the king said, whoa, wait, wait, what? He had some supervisors that were appointed under him. Daniel went to one of the supervisors and said, bro, let's try this. He says, give us a couple of weeks. You guys eat all of your Chaldean delicacies. You drink your Chaldean wine. And at the end of two weeks, we're going to do what we feel led by our God to do, which is eat vegetables and drink water. Doesn't sound great to me. That's what they decided. And they said, let's check it out at the end of two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, what happened? Four guys look stronger, they look fitter, they look better, their skin glowed, they had beautiful hair, right? They had everything. And the supervisor went, whoa, this works, this is amazing. And so off they go. They get esteem, there's dreams that the king has. All of a sudden, the king gets a little full of himself and says, you know what? Everybody needs to bow down and worship me. And to do that, I'm going to make this statue. And this statue is going to be awesome because it's a statue of me. You guys are going to bow down and worship it because I'm awesome. And the four friends said, King, may you live forever, but no, not going to happen. We bow down and worship God. Well, this gets out, right? Not going to happen. And all of a sudden, some people on the outside looked in, some people that were loyal to the king and said, you're not going to get away with this. You're going to worship this awesome king. And they went and told the king, and the king said, what? Throw him in the fiery furnace. So we got this huge furnace, right? The world's biggest campfire. Big. Had some strong guys, bound him up, drug him up to the top of this furnace, the three friends, tossed him inside. Burned him right to a crisp, right? Not so much. A couple of minutes later, the king goes, hey, guys, can we throw three dudes in the furnace? Like, king, this is totally true. We, we indeed threw three people in the furnace. Everybody's like, is this a trick question? Like, there's three dudes. The king says, why do I see four people walking around inside of the furnace? And keep in mind, the fire was so hot that it burned and killed the guys that threw him into the furnace. Right? And so in that, the king himself testified and says, the fourth one that I see walking around looks like the Son of God. And so here we see that God saved these friends. Friends. What marked their friendship? Number one, their friendship was counterculture. Right? And in this day and age, that can be hard to do. Is your friendship counterculture? Culture is not awesome in America today because it's not informed by the Word of God. That's part of our job as Christians is to take this out and inform the world. And one of the ways that we can do that is through our friendships. Right? As we have friendships and the world sees Christian friends, what do they think? How does that look different than the friends of the world? They see the friends of the world. They leave a little granddaughter at a roller skating rink alone to go be with cooler friends. That's the friendship of the world. Our friendships in Christ are counterculture. And if they're not, you need to reevaluate your friendships. What are you doing? And who are you hanging out with? Because friendships should exemplify the world, word of God and not the culture of the world around us. Daniel and his three friends sharpened each other. Right? They strengthened each other in the faith. And you read later in the Bible, it says, where there's two, it's strong. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Right? 
When you have friends in Christ, your faith is strong, your actions are strong, your testimony is strong, your witness is strong. Do you seek those kind of friends? Or do you seek to hang out with the cool kids? Do you seek to hang out with everybody that's popular, everybody that has nice clothes, drives a nice car, lives in the right neighborhood, right? Do you seek friends that honor God? Friends encourage each other in righteousness. And I think it's one of the big litmus tests. When you take a look at it, because you all know what I'm talking about, we've all had this friend. Hey, man, let's go do something bad. I'm like, what? Yeah, let's go do something bad. Everybody knows that friend, right? Like, oh, we're going to go do something. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be cool. But it's not righteousness. And so if you've got friends that are doing that, whether it's, hey, man, let's go down to the Western and get Blotto on Friday night, right? Or it's friends that have something completely different in mind. Those are not friends. And you need to evaluate. You need to make that assessment. Close friends bless people around them, right? And you know what I'm talking about because hopefully... God has put that person in your life, that when you needed them, they were there. When the king came and said, you're going to bow down and worship my crummy statue, went, bro, we're not going to do that, and I'm going to stand right beside you in the face of the king of the Chaldeans himself, crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to stand beside you, and I'm going to walk with you, even if it means we get thrown into the fiery furnace together. Those are friends that bless each other. Next slide, please, Warren. All right, go to the New Testament. This is a beautiful friendship. If you read in Acts chapter 9, actually it's throughout the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas. Paul, as everybody knows, was converted. Used to hate. Used to hate the Jews. Killed them. Sat by while other people killed them. He got converted. He got converted on the road to Damascus. Jesus came down, put the light on him and said, "Uh, you're done with that life. I've got a new plan for you. And it was awesome. But what happened right after that? The cultural context is absolutely critical. Because Saul does what? He goes into town, and what does he do? What would you do if you were recently converted as a Christian? I'd go find other Christians and be like, tell me more. I just had this amazing experience. Tell me more. Paul comes into town to find the Christians, and what do Christians do? I can get out of here. Saul's coming, right? He just killed people last month. Don't you guys know about Saul? The context is critical. People are scared of Saul. He's going to kill us. And he's coming to chase us down. Oh, sure, he became a Christian. He's trying to root everybody out, and we're all going to get killed. But there was one guy, one guy that stood up for Saul and said, no, 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 guys. I was there. Let me tell you about what happened. In the midst of all of that, Barnabas stood up for his friend Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. And then subsequently, Barnabas accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys throughout all of Asia, even into Europe. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. We today bear the name of Christ because of the faithfulness of Barnabas in establishing and encouraging the ministry of Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. That's a friend. That is a friend. So Barnabas stood up for Saul. He stood up for him when nobody else would. Why? Because he knew that it was the right thing to do. He knew it was the right thing to do. They ministered together. Do you have friends that you can minister with? 
Ministry, if you haven't done it, is a phenomenal thing to draw friendships even closer together. It's absolutely awesome for that. And you wouldn't think it because ministry can be hard. Right? But some of the best friendships I have were friendships that were forged in adversity. Right? They were not forged when life was easy. They were forged when God brought me into circumstances where I was forced to lean on people, and they were forced to lean on me. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about because that's the mission field. Right? Those friendships that are forged in adversity, friendships that are forged in adversity are genuine friendships. Next slide. So let's take a look at this. Jesus and Lazarus. This is an interesting one to me. Jesus had friends. What? Jesus had friends. In fact, Jesus had a very close friend named Lazarus. You guys know the account. What happened to Lazarus? He got sick. He got so sick that what happened? He died. It's terrible. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, before he died, came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you've got to come. The one whom you love is sick. And Jesus said, I got this. We're not going right yet, though, because God's going to be glorified. So he waited, waited, and he waited. And his best friend, one he loved, Lazarus, he died. And then Jesus said, okay, now we can go. And so off he went. Came to the village. Mary and Martha ran out to meet him. And, of course, what's the first thing? What's the first thing that happens? If you got here earlier, he wouldn't have died. And that's what happened. Like, literally, Jesus got the, the shake. You go, what happened? Jesus says, guys, I'm Jesus. I got this. I got this. Right? So he starts to minister. And he finally says, let's go find the body. And they're like, Jesus, he's been dead four days. Do you know what he smells like? Jesus says, I got this. So he goes to the tomb, roll away the stone, and what does he say? He says, Lazarus, get out here. What does Lazarus do? He can't help but obey. The God of the universe called him to come out of the grave. And what does he do? He comes right out. Jesus is like, hey, take those wrappings off of him. He's a guy, right? The miracle is done, and it's amazing. But what's interesting to me about this account is Jesus loved his friend because when he got to the village and the sisters met him and he saw the grief that everybody had because Lazarus was dead, what did he do? Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He cried. The God who made the universe cried. He cried even though he knew, in short order, he was going to go bring Lazarus back to life. He was going to go bring Lazarus back to life, and yet he cried. That's interesting to me, and I hope it's interesting to you. Why? Because Jesus was emotionally connected with those people, and he was emotionally connected with Lazarus. He was tied into them. And so he got there, and he cried. He felt their sorrow, right? He felt it. And then he went, and he relieved their sorrow because he's the God of the universe, right? So what can we learn from this? Not only did Jesus minister in sickness, but he ministered in death. And he was emotionally connected to those that he called friends. So when we get into it, are you emotionally connected to your friends? Right? And I think it's one of the biggest things we're missing in modern culture. It's so easy to post a status update on your favorite social media site, isn't it? Where's the emotional connection? Where's the emotional connection? 
Somebody posts some bad news. What do you do? Oh, sounds terrible. I'm so sad for you. Brownie face, send. What do you do? That's not real emotional connection. Do you go to them? Do you minister to them? Do you love them? Do you share that emotional bond? It's missing. It's missing in this modern culture, and we have the example set by Jesus himself that that's how we need to be. Next slide. How do you know he's a good friend? Right? Everybody, we talked about bad friends. Hey, man, we're going to go do something awful. Right? I want good friends. How do I know who good friends are? Number one, we already said it. Good friends are a blessing. Right? When you go dig into the Bible, I've got verses up here. You can go to the book of Proverbs, and it talks about friends a lot. If you're looking to figure out friends, like, I don't know, this, this rings with me. How do I figure out? Go to the book of Proverbs. Boy, there's friends all over the book of Proverbs, good ones and bad ones. We're going to look at that. Some of the things that we see, if you go to the verses that I've got up here, good friends can be closer than family. There is a friend that's closer than a brother. Right? Good friends can be close like that. But that doesn't happen automatically. Right? That's a relationship that's built, and that's something that we work towards in friendships. Friendships are hard work. Right? Good friends have pure hearts and speak graciously. Right? And if your friends don't have pure hearts and they don't speak graciously, what kind of friends are they? Well, we get it. We're all sinners. Right? We're not talking about ultimately pure hearts. But is your friend pure of heart the way that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5? Do they speak graciously when they open their mouth? Or is it like a sewer when their mouth opens up? Do they have nothing but backbiting, hurtful things to say? Because if they do, that's not a good friend. You need to be careful. You need to be alert. You need to be aware. Because that's not a good friend. Good friends tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Anybody ever had a friend like that? Had a friend like that several times. Say, bro, you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you, but here it is. Here's the truth. And I love it when you have a friend that is close enough to you that they can do that. They can talk to you. They can go, this is what God has put on my heart to tell you, even though I know it's not what you need to hear right now. All right. Next slide. Bad friends. Bad friends are dangerous. If you're a parent and you have young kids, pay attention. The friends that your kids keep have a big influence, probably bigger than you know. Are you checking out who your kids are friends with? Sometimes it's tough in this day and age, right? They go off to school. We don't see them for eight hours. They come back. Who are they hanging out with? Oh, hey, we're all going out tonight. Who's us all? You don't control who shows up when all the kids get together. But it's absolutely critical absolutely true. Know that your kids are hanging out with people that are going to encourage them in righteousness, that are going to bless them and help them walk that straight path. Bad friends lead you away from righteousness. And that's one of the first questions. If you take a look at it and go, hey, I'm doing an inventory of my friends. You got a bad friend? Time to start getting rid of them. They lead you away from righteousness. Bad friends are shallow and fake if you get into Proverbs. They'll say one thing to your face. They like you because you got money. Whatever it is, bad friends are shallow and they're fake. We've all gotten pretty good, I think, over the years, for those of us that have been around a while, looking and going, that person's pretty shallow or that person's pretty fake. But if you're saying that, then my question is, why are they still your friend? Or were they ever your friend in the first place? Doing that assessment is key. The Bible says that. 
Anybody have a friend that you got in trouble and they went, see ya, I'm gone. Bad friends run at the first sign of trouble. Go back to Daniel. His friends all stuck together even though they got burned up in the furnace or didn't. Right? Good friends don't run at the first sign of trouble. And that's a litmus test. Proverbs says bad friends get angry. Right? It says don't be friends with an angry man. Right? So if you've got friends that have an anger problem, time to assess. Right? What else is going on there? Maybe they just have a sin problem and you minister to them and you encourage them in righteousness. Maybe you're that friend. But take a look at it. Because I guarantee you, if they have anger problems, they probably have other issues. And it's at least worth taking a look at. Next slide. All right, the solution. Let's take a look at this. When you take a look at what's wrong in America, right, we use the word friend all the time. We bandy it about, use it. But good friendships are rooted in the Lord. And so as Christians, if you're searching that out, you're starting on the right path. Right? Are your friends found in Christ? Have they made that acknowledgement? And if they are, they're doing great. Friends should never replace God. And I think that's one of the problems when you take a look at it today. When you take a look at people that are empty, they feel alone, and they feel left out, and then they go to find comfort in other people, people let you down. People disappoint you. People hurt you. Right? People hurt you. That's not where we find comfort. Right? Good friends never replace God. They can draw you closer to God, but they never replace God. If you're here today and you're, you're feeling that maybe, a little bit lonely, maybe you're a little bit empty, struggling, searching, looking for acceptance, I want to offer this. And I heard this a couple of months ago from my own son. Uh, he went to a Christian conference, and uh, we were talking about it. And I love the sentiment because it's so true. Right? If you're here today and you go, ah, I'm lonely. Right? I need people to like me. I need people to approve of me. Absolutely not. Your worth and your identity is found in the Jesus Christ that gave himself on the cross for you. And I can promise you, I can promise you that if that is where you find your comfort, and that is where you find your affection. And that is where you start to find your friendships. You will never be let down. And you will never be disappointed. And you will never, you will never be let go. Because when Jesus Christ grabs onto your heart, he never lets go. And it's beautiful. Right? So in this society, we're looking around. I need to find this. I need to get this connection. We start with the connection to God. Next slide. All right couple of things as we close here. The self-check. Right? I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions, but I'm not really asking rhetorically. I want you to ask them to yourself. How are your friends? Are they real friends? Are they encouraging you in righteousness? Are they walking with you? Are you seeking iron friends? The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Right? When it talks about friendships, the countenance of a friend sharpens as iron sharpens iron. Are you seeking out iron friends? And again, they're not everywhere, right? Friendships come and go. But are you seeking out the friends that help you walk more closely with God? For those of you that have friends, are you investing in that relationship? Friendships are hard work, right? Those of you that are married know that, right? My wife is my very best friend in the whole world, right? And I love my wife. But if I didn't invest in that relationship, you know what would happen? I'd be gone. 
listening. Are you investing in your friends? It's absolutely critical. Next slide. You look for other people to fulfill you, right? I think it's very popular in this day's society. It's very easy, right? The number of likes you get on a social media page, the number of five-star reviews you get on whatever the social media app is, I don't know. But our society is geared towards it. The more people that like you, clearly the better off you are. Right? We thrive on it, but that's not true. Are you seeking your fulfillment in the approval of others? Or do you seek your fulfillment in the approval of God? What do you do? Are people filling the void in your life? Are you trying to make them fill the void in your life? Because I promise you that that's not going to happen. That is absolutely not going to happen. Now, my final question I want to leave you with is this. Is God the God of your friendships? Does he rule over what you do, how you interact with people, how you're there for people, how you sustain them, encourage them in righteousness? If he's not, today is the day. It's time to start. Because once these relationships start, once they're built, think back to Daniel and his friends. They changed a nation. Paul and Barnabas, they changed the world. Jesus Christ obviously did. When you take a look at these biblical accounts, your impact can be that impact. But it starts with bringing your life into submission. All right. In closing, uh, next slide, Warren. The book of Ecclesiastes says this, I love it. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. I love that. One will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. This captures it so beautifully. This is why biblical friendships are so important. Not just any friendships, but friendships that are rooted in God. Because when you truly need that person, they're there for you. In the New Testament, Jesus is labeled the friend of sinners. I always find that a very interesting thing. Jesus got condemned for it all the time by the Pharisees, the preachers of the day. Oh, you're hanging out with those sinners and those tax collectors. Terrible Jesus. Jesus telling me, he said, the healthy don't need a doctor. Jesus knew exactly what he was about. I love it. But as we take a look at that, that friendship's wide open to you this morning. If you're here and you go, I don't have any friends, I'm alone. The offer of friendship with Jesus Christ is open. It's wide open. It's freely available to you, every single one of you this morning. Some of you have taken that offer, and you know what I'm talking about, and you go, that's the best friendship ever. But if you're here this morning and you haven't, today's the day. You can get started. There is a new hope for that, I promise you. And as I said before, you'll never get stabbed in the back. Jesus won't let you down. And when he grabs onto you by the heart, he never Never lets go. The God that made the universe by the word of his power never let go of you. So if you're here and you're that person this morning, uh, we're going to close and worship here in just a second here. But uh, after the music, um, if you'll just come up here and wait on the side, uh, I would love to talk with you. I would love to spend some time with you and fill out for you what it means to be a friend in Jesus Christ. And we can start down that path. Uh, And I uh, would be privileged uh, to make that journey with you. So if that's you this morning, please come up. Uh, and I'll be happy to talk with you. Because the most important question I'm going to ask you this morning is this. Slide one. Yeah, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for the friendships, for those of us that have them, that you give us. Father, thank you that you bring meaning and you bring fulfillment in life. 
Uh, God, we ask that you would uh, bless us this morning as we go from this place. Uh, God, we ask that in our friendships you would help us to honor you. We ask that you would help us to be faithful to your word, that we're those who are struggling or those who have need, that you would bring us into their paths, that we might be those friends. And Father, where we need that friend, where we have that desire or that want, we ask that you would please bring that person our way uh, to minister that word of truth to us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you indeed uh, call us friend. Father, bring us into submission to your will in this this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.